Well, church family, I would be very appreciative if you could turn in your Bible to Numbers towards the beginning of the Bible, Numbers chapter 13. Numbers 13. As we said earlier, and as we have said for several months now, next Sunday is our 40th anniversary as a church. Next Sunday marks 40 years since this congregation began under the uh, guidance and the vision of Reverend Bill Stewart and our Main Street Church of the Nazarene family. And as I've been thinking for several weeks, for several months actually, about our 40th anniversary, I've been, I've been asking and saying, Lord, I've been thinking about, Lord, how can we have a great and a greater future in the months and in the years to come? And I'm thinking of that fact both in terms of you personally, you as an individual, you as a family, having a great and a greater future, and we as a church family. And so the theme today is keys to a greater future for you personally and for our church. We discover some of those keys in Numbers chapter 13 and 14. And leading up to the scripture here, God used, God used Moses to lead the people of Israel out of Egyptian slavery. This happened probably somewhere around 1200 to 1400 BC that, that God used Moses in this incredible way. They had been slaves in Egypt, but there came that time when God called Moses to lead his people out of Egyptian bondage. Eventually, they came to a, a place called Kadesh in the wilderness of Paran, P-A-R-A-N. They were getting ready to go into the promised land, as it was known, which was also called the land of Canaan. Let's just read the first few verses of Numbers 13, where it says, the Lord now said to Moses, Send out men to explore the land of Canaan, the land I am giving to the Israelites. Send one leader from each of the 12 ancestral tribes. So Moses did as the Lord commanded him. He sent out 12 men, all tribal leaders of Israel, from their camp in the wilderness of Paran. These were the tribes and the names of their leaders. So then... The, the various names are given right through verse 15. And for most of us, the only names we would probably recognize really are the names of Caleb and, and Joshua. And then verse 17 says, Moses gave the men these instructions as he sent them out to explore the land. So God through Moses gave specific instructions. And as some of you know the story, Eventually, these explorers, or sometimes they're called spies, eventually they went back. They went back and reported what they found in the land, this land of Canaan, this promised land. And 
two of the individuals, Joshua and Caleb, gave a great report. And they said, let's move ahead. We, we can possess this land that God has promised us. All of the others, however, came back with a very negative report. And they said, oh, no, no way, man, no way. We, we, cannot, we cannot go any further. We cannot possess this land. Now, as the story unfolds, we learn some keys to a greater future for, for these people and for you and for our church. And so I'm going to direct our attention to various verses as we continue on in this message. And the first truth I want to share with you on this theme of keys to a greater future for you personally and for our church is this. Number one, cultivate and maintain a we can instead of a we can't attitude, right? Uh, this was the big difference between Caleb and Joshua and the other 10 men who went out to explore the promised land. Caleb and Joshua's attitude is captured in verse 30 of uh, chapter 13. Verse 30 says, says this, but Caleb tried to quiet the people as they stood before Moses, and this is what Caleb said. Let's go at once to take the land, he said. We can certainly conquer it. We can do it. That's what Caleb said. Now, the attitude of the other ten men who explored the promised land is summarized in verse 31. Look at verse 31. This is the New Living Translation, and it says, But the other men who had explored the land with him disagreed. We can't go up against them. They are stronger than we are. We can't, all right? There's the difference, there's the difference. Caleb said, we can take the land. And obviously, the other 10 said, we can't. We can, we can't. And obviously, this speaks to the issue of having a positive attitude, a positive spirit. But it is more than just that. It's more than that. It is a matter of having faith. It's a matter of trusting in the Lord. It's a matter of having faith that with the Lord's help, what God wants you to accomplish, he will help you to accomplish as an individual, as a family, as a church congregation. Amen? In the days ahead, you, you are going to face some challenges uh, or problems, and you are going to have to choose. You're going to have to choose between saying, I can't do this, or I can do this. And sometimes, sometimes you will be wise to remind yourself of Philippians 4.13, which says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Or as 1 John chapter 4, verse 4 says, greater is he who is in the world who is in you than he who is in the world. Or as the New Living Translation says, the Spirit, capital S, the Spirit who lives in you is greater than the Spirit who lives in the world. Hallelujah. Amen? 
Over the years, as a church, we have had to maintain, and I as a pastor have had to maintain a we-can-do-this attitude and spirit. When Rosewood Church first started with a small group of people in November of 1979, we had to say, we can reach more people for Jesus. In the fall of 1982, when we started construction on our first church building, it was very difficult. It was very difficult. In fact, it took about a year before we could even get the building plans approved by the city. Some of us went back and forth, back and forth, back and forth to the planning board, the building department, back and forth, back and forth. All right? It was difficult, but we had to say, we can do this. We're in God's, we're in God's work, doing God's work, and he is helping, and he will help us. Then in 1983, when we developed a master 15-year plan, which included starting new churches, we said, we can do this. In 1992, when we started to look for a larger piece of property because we outgrew our previous church building, the first building we constructed. In 1992, when we started to look for a larger piece of property on which to build and expand our ministry, property was very expensive. And, and very little land was zoned for worship purposes. But we said, we can do this. It took, uh, it took six years of praying and looking for land, but in October of 1998, we closed the deal on, on this prime site, eight acres that our church is currently on. Then we had to raise. Then we had to raise and borrow several million dollars to, to build this place of worship. But we had faith. We had faith that we could do it. And this past February of 2019, as most of you know, praise God, we paid off. We paid off all of our church mortgages and loans totaling about $3.4 million. Amen. We had faith that we could do it and we did. So, my friends, as we look ahead beyond our congregation's 40th anniversary, we have to maintain that kind of a spirit that we can do it with the help of the Lord. We must have faith. Right? I challenge you to have this we can do it spirit in, in your personal life, in your family, and in our church family here as well. Let it be so. May you, may you remember this, this beautiful truth as we face the months ahead. Here's a second key to a greater future for you personally and for us as a church family. The second truth is this. Be careful not to exaggerate our difficulties. Be careful not to exaggerate our difficulties. Uh, I want you to look at Numbers 13, verse 27 and 28. It says, This was their report to Moses. We entered the land you sent us to explore and it is indeed a bountiful country, a land flowing with milk and honey. 
When that term, by the way, a land flowing with milk and honey is used, it means this is a, it's a, rich, a rich place. Uh, there, there are many blessings here. A land flowing with milk and honey. Here is the kind of fruit it produces. Verse 28. But the people living there, watch this now, but the people living there are powerful and their towns are large and fortified. We even saw giants there, the descendants of Anak. All right. God, God had delivered God's people from Egypt, uh, from, from the Pharaoh, the most powerful, powerful leader, the most powerful nation at that time time in their world. And now, now these scouts, these explorers got worried about a local tribe standing in the way of the promised land that God wanted to give them. My friends, when you look at your problems and your own future, the problems may oftentimes seem bigger than they really are. And there can be a tendency to exaggerate. Do you know what I'm saying? There's a tendency to exaggerate the problems. That isn't to say, sometimes the problems, whether it's in your life personally or in our church, sometimes they are big problems. But, <clears throat> but we have to be careful that we don't make them to be greater than they really are. Uh, for instance, if someone, if someone says something negative about you. Someone says something negative. Don't exaggerate and don't exaggerate and think that the whole world is saying negative things about you. Okay? Whether that's at, at, at home or whether it's at work or at school or at church, where, wherever it might be. Don't, don't make it bigger than it really is. <clears throat> Let's read verses 29 and following in chapter 13. Verse 29 says... Here it is. The Amalekites live in the Negev, and the Hittites, Jebusites, and Amorites live in the hill country. The Canaanites live along the coast of the Mediterranean Sea and along the Jordan Valley. But Caleb tried, Caleb tried to quiet the people as they stood before Moses. Let's go at once to take the land, he said. We can certainly conquer it. Verse 31. But the other men who had explored the land with him disagreed. We can't. We can't go up against them. They are stronger than we are. So they spread. They spread this bad report about the land among the Israelites. The land we traveled through and explored will, look at this, will devour. The land we traveled through and explored will devour anyone who goes to live there. All the people we saw were huge. We even saw giants there, the, the, the descendants of Anak. Next to them we felt like grasshoppers, and that's what they thought too. All right? And that's what they thought. Notice verse 30. It says, so they, they spread the bad report about the land among the Israelites. You know, so often the majority report is almost always negative. They spread the, the, the ten spies, uh, uh, investigators, they, the ten of them out of the twelve spread the bad news, okay? Um, the reality is most people 
who get anything good accomplished for themselves, for their family, or for God, will often have to go against the negative majority report. You stop and think about that, and if you stop and really reflect, you'll say, you know what, that's incredibly true and correct. Um, by the way, Pastor Rick Warren says, the majority of people who look at life with very little or no eyes of faith, or the majority of people look at life with very little or no eyes of faith. How true that is. Only Joshua and Caleb had the positive report. They were the minority, two out of the 12. And the other 10 spies said, as recorded in verse 32, the land we traveled through and explored will devour anyone who, who goes to live there. It will devour. The Hebrew word that's translated devour basically means they'll eat you up. That's what it means. They'll tear you apart, eat you up. All right? That was, that was an exaggeration. That was an exaggeration. Here, here's the problem. Negative attitudes are contagious. Did you get that? Negative attitudes, whether it's in the family, in the school environment, at work, at church, negative attitudes are contagious. And all of us have to be careful about that in every setting. Amen? When the Israelites were getting close to the promised land, they were excited. When you read the full story, they were excited. It was, um, it was only when 10 of the 12 spies came back with a negative report that most of the people changed their mind about going forward uh, into the promised land. They began to be, to be uh, infected, basically, infected with a negative attitude. And I know that sometimes you personally or your family Ends, ends up facing some serious problems. There have been a, a, few, a few times over the years when we as a church face some major challenges. And all I'm saying is, let's be careful not to exaggerate and not to make our problems sound bigger than they really are. In the family, your, your personal individual situation in your family, at work, at school, in church, wherever we might be. Amen? All right, here's a third, a third key to a greater future for you personally and for our church congregation. Number three, let's not underestimate our own abilities. We don't want to be bragging or anything like that, but let's not underestimate our own abilities. Uh, this comes from verse 33. Here's what verse 33 says. We even saw giants there, the descendants of Anak. Next to them, we felt like grasshoppers. And that's what they thought, too. Notice they said, we're just a bunch of bugs. We're just a bunch of grasshoppers compared to those guys. We, we, can't, we, can't, we can't do anything. We can't move to, to the land that God has promised us. No, notice in verse 33, we even saw giants there. 
next to them we felt like grasshoppers and, and that's what they thought too. In other words, the people there thought, ah, these people are just grasshoppers. How, how did they know, how did they know that the potential enemy thought they were grasshoppers? How did they know? They didn't know. There's no way they would have known. And, and th there's a word for this, all right? Those of you who have studied psychology, you know, it's called psychological projection. You tend to project your fears on people around you. And that's what they were doing. They were projecting. The Israelites had been slaves in Egypt for 400 years. They were now free. They were now free, get this. But they were still enslaved by the image of what they thought of themselves. Stop and think. Many years ago, when you were a child or a teenager or even an adult, some people perhaps said some negative and discouraging things about you or to you. They weren't even true, but you believed them. Maybe someone said things to you like, uh, oh, uh, you'll never amount to anything. Or, you're so stupid, you'll never get anywhere. Or, you're so ugly, no one will ever want to marry you. <laughs> or, your grandparents were alcoholics, your parents were alcoholics, and you're going to be no good as well. Or, your relatives were all on welfare, your, your parents were on welfare, and you're going you're gonna to end up on welfare too. Don't let what some thoughtless person or persons in your past prevent you, prevent you from what God wants to accomplish in you and through you in the present and in the future. You got that? Don't stay, don't stay enslaved to their image of you, whether it was a parent who said that, a teacher, a coach, a choir director, or a stranger. You are, you are no longer a slave in Egypt. I'm glad some of you got that. You are free. You are free to become all that God wants you to become. By his grace and through his presence and through his power. Amen? Here's a beautiful fourth truth that is a key to a greater future for you personally and for our church. The fourth truth is this. Be careful not to get discouraged. All right? Um, let me read. This, this comes from Numbers chapter 14, which where the story continues. Numbers 14, verse 1. It says, then the whole community, it's talking about the people of Israel, then the whole community began weeping aloud and they cried 
all night. They cried all night. In other words, they had a great big pity party. They were discouraged because now they, they thought, we can't go into the promised land. The, the, the reports from 10 of them are terrible. We can't go there. We're going to get massacred. My friends, whether it's you or me, there are repeatedly things happening which can really discourage us. I mean, these people, these people began weeping and crying, as that first verse says, all night long. Why? Because they got so discouraged. All of us here, I'm sure, know what discouragement is. Some of you have gone through it. Some of you are going through it right now. Some of you will go through it tomorrow for different reasons. Here are some suggestions for preventing and overcoming discouragement. I was thinking about this, and, and, I, and I thought about some of the things that have helped me over the years. Most of you wouldn't be thinking about this, but I can, I can tell you, pastors, pastors, because we're dealing with so many situations, so many crises, so many different kinds of people, so many uh, events, pastors can get very discouraged if, if we allow ourselves to. And so we have to learn how to prevent and overcome discouragement. So here are some suggestions that, that I have usually used, and then I did some reading to get ideas from other people with the hope that these truths will, uh, some of them will at least help some of you, okay? So here's some suggestions for preventing or overcoming discouragement. If you're taking notes, A, ask yourself, well, re read it from the big screen with me. Ask yourself, am I living and doing what I believe God wants me to be doing? And if you answer yes, it will help you. I often do this. This is my own idea here. When, when, something, when something looks to be a problem or there's some potential discouragement, I'll, I'll examine myself and I'll also pray and I'll say, Lord, you know, have I, have I been doing the right thing in the right way to the best of my knowledge? And, and so I examine myself in this fashion. And I want to encourage you to do the same thing. Ask yourself, am I living and doing what I believe God wants me to do? And, and when I can say to myself, yes, I am, that helps me, that helps me prevent discouragement or overcome discouragement. Does that make sense to you? Make sense? Okay. All right. Uh, point B, another suggestion is, Reflect upon and count the blessings in your life, okay? This will help all of us. Whenever, um, <clears throat> whenever you're, you're going through a discouraging time, just, just pause and, and, you know, as the hymn says, count your many blessings, name them one by one, and see what the Lord has done. And, and many times, you know, for the two families whose babies we dedicated, you know, all, all, all you have to do is look at baby Sabello, and, and that's going to help you overcome discouragement. You know, all you have to do is look at little KD, and, and that's going to help you overcome discouragement. Just like some, sometimes I'll, I'll look at my, 
my little grandchildren, you know, and uh, most times they're, they're worry-free, you know, they're just having a good old time. And, and just reflect upon the blessings in your life. Okay, uh, idea C, okay, uh, suggestions for preventing overcoming <clears throat> discouragement. C, um, change your expectations. Sometimes, sometimes you and I need to change our expectations to prevent repeated discouragement. Now, what, well, what do you mean by this, Pastor Nick? Well, obviously you know what it means to change expectations, but here's a little example. Here's a little example. In just regular life, it might be that you, whether you're, whether you're the husband or the wife, or it doesn't matter whether it's husband or wife, maybe you're a family member who expects, who expects everyone else in your family to be home, let's say, by 5.30 p.m., all right? Let's suppose you are someone in your family that expects everyone else to be home at 5.30 so you can all have supper by 5.45 or 6. It may be, it may be that that works for your family, but it may be that one or two of your family members are constantly not getting home until 6.15 or maybe even 6.30. And it isn't that they're irresponsible. It may be simply because by the time they leave work or they leave school or finish whatever responsibilities they have, uh, maybe the bus connections didn't happen, the uh, subway connections didn't happen, or they got stuck in traffic on the 401, as we often do, right? And it may be that you need to change your expectations. Say, you know what? Uh, ideally, I would love for our family to have dinner at, you know, for everyone to be home at 5.30, to have dinner at 5.45 or 6, whatever. But it may be that that, that isn't going to happen for a lot of different reasons. And so it's, it, it could be that the solution is that you need to change your expectations. Say, okay, let's not sweat it. Let's not get upset with each other. Let me not get discouraged about this. Let me, let me just change my expectations. And let's say, all right, what is realistic? 6.15, let's go for that. Are you with me on this? Okay? All right? By the way, if this has been an issue with anyone, no, your, your, your family member didn't talk to me about it, okay? <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, okay. So that's one little example of changing expectations. Uh, I can tell you this. <clears throat> over the years, um, next, what? Next, uh, next summer, uh, next August, you know, my wife and I will, will have been married 40 years. Right? Now, you're supposed to look at me and say, you're, you don't look old enough. <laughs> right, Sister Ethel? <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Um, so next summer, my wife and I will have been married 40 years. And, and I've been the pastor of our church here since June of 81. And um, the, the reality is, the reality is, over these years, I have had to change my expectations, both in terms of of family matters, and in terms of church matters, in order for me to maintain my sanity. <laughs> Is it okay for me to be honest with you? Yes. I'm being honest. 
And, and if you are honest with me, you, have, you too have had to change your expectations or you'd be, you'd be going crazy as well. <laughs> All right? Okay, let, let's go to another idea. Uh, after change your expectations, point D. <clears throat> All right, hang out with positive people. Hang out with positive people. That will help you overcome discouragement. Uh, next one, E. Talk with someone you trust about what is discouraging you. Sometimes talking to someone that loves you, cares about you, will help you. F, avoid a person who is a regular discouragement to you. Amen. <laughs> okay? Avoid a person who is a regular discouragement to you. Now, what I'm afraid, what I'm afraid is going to happen <laughs> is a few weeks down the road, Someone is going to phone me up or write a nasty note to me and say, Pastor Nick, ever since you said that in that sermon on that Sunday, my brother or my sister or so-and-so has not talked to me. <laughs> All right? And, and if, if, if you're intending to write me a note, uh, I, I, at least sign it or, or talk to me in person so I can say to you, okay, if he or she has not talked to you, take a hint. <laughs> Why haven't they talked to you? Well, because you have repeatedly discouraged them. So what's the solution? Instead of you discouraging them, encourage them. And guess what? They're going to be start they're going to start talking with you plenty. You didn't know I was this smart, did you? <laughs> oh, just kidding. Just kidding. Okay? All right. Uh, point G. Again, some ideas that can help you overcome discouragement. Point um, G, get, get some needed rest or sleep, right? Problems seem bigger and success seems smaller when we are tired. That's true, isn't it? Right? Okay, uh, H, all right, do more of what you love to do. This will help you overcome discouragement. I. Go for a walk and do some other exercise. The exercise helps us overcome discouragement. J, celebrate often. Celebrate often. Pray, praise yourself for small victories. All right? Pat yourself on the back. All right? Often no one else will. You need to pat yourself on the back uh, and praise yourself for small victories. Uh, K, talk to yourself um, this, this is sometimes called self-talk. Talk to yourself and say nice things about yourself. All right? A lot of times we say, we say nasty things about ourselves. Messes, messes us up, right? So talk to yourself. And, and L, here's another one, all right? Consider, consider the, the broad perspective. Consider the broad perspective. Uh, here's what I mean. Here's what I mean. Even in terms of simple things. I think it was just a couple of weeks ago, I had a, had a responsibility in the West End. Um, it doesn't matter. Uh, I think maybe I visited at a hospital. And then after, afterwards, it was, I don't know, getting around 2 o'clock or whatever. And I hadn't had lunch. Um, and so anyway, I popped into uh, a fast food place, fast food place, and got uh, um, a hamburger combo. A hamburger combo, fries, hamburger and, and a drink. All right. So anyway, I took it out to my car. I, I took it out to my car, and uh, 
and I, I think uh, what happened was I, I, put, I put the bag with the fries and the hamburger on top of my car, uh, <laughs> opened the door, and put my, put my drink you know, in the cup holder, and there was what? There was a gust of wind. <laughs> a gust of wind, real strong, and it, and it blew my fries onto the ground. Okay? It blew my fries onto the ground. Uh, the hamburger didn't get dirty, but the fries did. And by the way, I do not believe in the 30-second rule. You know what that is? You, you know, if you, what? The, the uh, five-second rule. That, uh, sorry, sorry. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't believe, yeah, I really don't believe in the 30-second rule. <laughs> yeah, I don't believe in the five-second rule. Some people say, oh, if it's only in the ground five seconds, you can eat it. <laughs> no, don't. That's how people get sick, okay? Uh, I was a science student at the University of Toronto. Germs can be picked up once they, you know, something, a uh, food, food item hits the ground, okay? But anyway, anyway, so I thought, oh, man, my fries. Oh, they were nice and hot, and now they're, they're spilled. And besides that, now I got to clean them up. I got I to gotta clean them up because I don't want to leave the parking lot dirty, right? Well... So I, I think I reached into the car to maybe get a bag to pick up the, the no-good fries. I reached that into the car, and would you believe, would you believe God sent a cleaning team? <laughs> Can anyone guess what the cleaning team was? Why, you're so smart. Oh, you know, I'm, I'm reaching in the car, and then all, all of a sudden, I, it was about a dozen, a dozen uh, seagulls. Seagulls, or what are, the, what are those birds? I think they're seagulls. White birds. I mean, they, they within a few seconds, they swooped down. <laughs> they, they swooped down. And then, and then I changed my perspective. I changed my perspective. Instead of me being disappointed about losing my fries, I thought, isn't this wonderful? I was able to be a blessing to the birds. Isn't that right? I thought, praise God. I was able to be a blessing to the birds, although I didn't do it intentionally, you know? And those birds, I'm sure, I'm sure those birds flew away talking to each other saying, man, that pastor is sure nice to us. <laughs> right? That pastor, man, he blessed us with beautiful, hot fries. What happened? I changed my perspective. So instead of me, me being disappointed, I thought, oh, it's nice to be a blessing to God's creation, right? And besides that, the birds cleaned the mess up for me. <laughs> my friends, my friends, we're talking about keys to a greater future for you personally and for our church. And in this last point, I've just shared with you some ideas as to how you and I can prevent or overcome discouragement. Next Sunday, we have the privilege of having Dr. Stewart speak in both the 11 o'clock and 6.30 services. The Sunday after that, I'm going to share part two with you of this message. But together... I want us to prepare ourselves 
to live out the keys to a greater future individually, as a family, and as a congregation. Amen? And, and along with all that I've said, the best key and the greatest key to a great future is to know that you have repented of your sins, that you have put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, and that your life is in God's hands.